I never, I, I always felt like God was there, like kind of beside me. And so he was always like the one listening. And sometimes that was maybe if I was high or something. And so I did definitely have a moment where uh, the first time I heard God audibly, it was really, really, really freaky. Um, I don't know if you want to go into that. Good day, everyone. Welcome to another episode. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Friends, don't forget to check out everydisciplesent.ca, follow Disciple of City on Facebook, and follow us here at the Toddcast underscore DAC on Instagram. Disciple of City is a non-for-profit charitable organization. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you, would you prayerfully consider supporting us? If you feel led to do so, go to discipleofcity.ca, click on donate, and you'll find an option for the podcast there. Now on with the show. My guest today grew up in Barrie, Ontario. He's been a professional musician since 2000, recorded eight studio albums, won multiple Canada Covenant Awards. He joined the boys in 2002 playing bass, guitar, and backing vocals. He's the longest standing member of Hawk Nelson. Please welcome Dan Bureau. Bro! <laughs> the claps are amazing. Am I supposed to clap for myself? Yeah. Uh, that Daniel. Was quite the introduction, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I have any of those awards in my possession, so it's just little old me. That's what you're getting today. Yeah. Sorry. Well, that's cool. That's what our uh, Toddcast investigative team discovered. That makes me sound like this epic like musician that was like on top of his game. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well... A Juno nods, a Grammy nod, like there's a lot of stuff out there. I found, uh, you know, you get these um, photos that pop up on Facebook. Oh, 12 years ago today, you you know, I was at the Junos in Canada and um, it it was really special. I remember going to Ottawa and to the arena and I think William Shatner was one of the, um, you know, presenters that year. And I don't know, it's just there's a lot of really cool memories, I guess, over the last 20 years or whatever. And, um, it's not until you kind of are reminded, like you just kind of did there of all the, the cool things that God kind of opened the doors for over the years. Yeah. William Shatner. That's pretty cool. We're best friends. Amen. <laughs> Captain James T. Kirk. He's a legend. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you've done some things, bro. Uh, our, our crack team, Looking, you know, just into all the things that you did. 32 million, bro. I love that you're playing this. <laughs> this bed track. Yeah. Sold out. Yeah. Literally, I don't even understand. God is using this in China right now. And we had nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing. We're basically a dead band. Yet somehow God is resurrecting this song. And like you say, millions of people are streaming it, playing it. We're getting emails from China about, like, can we represent you? We're like, what is happening? Well, 32 million is a couple more than the Toddcast audience. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know what? Actually, we, we were talking about this uh, last week when we met. So uh, actually, let's start with that. Just share the resurrection of this song and what's going on in China, because it's actually a really super cool story. Yeah, I, I don't even know how it happened, uh, but I, I guess there's like some kind of video game out there called Honor of Kings. It's like 
one of the largest video games in the world, played by like 80 million people every day, 200 million every month. Like, um, and somehow I guess the users like decided they wanted to insert this track before a battle scene or something. I don't really totally get it because I'm not a gamer on that level. But because that game is so big, then it got covered in um, a game show over there by like an Asian, um, well, Chinese actually artist. And you watch the video online. It's on bilibili.com, which is B-I-L-I-B-I-L-A. It's like their kind of YouTube. And uh, again, millions of streams. And it's just epic. It's like the stadium with these guys raging this song, singing it in English, singing about like being sold out for Jesus in what I thought was like communist China. I, I, I just, I'm really like kind of confused by the whole thing, but I'm just like, wow, that's, that's a nice little surprise that God just dropped on us. There's a hunger there, man. Uh, and Large. I, and, and I, you know, I always was led to believe that, you know, that the church was kind of persecuted in, in China and maybe that was true at one point, but you do a quick search and it's the fastest growing religion. If you want to call it that, uh, it's gone from 1 million to a hundred million. 100 million Christians in China and I, I don't think it's like oh we just go to church on Easter like kind of if you're a Christian you're a Christian like because it's not necessarily the easiest choice there so that's pretty encouraging yeah yeah there it is I'm sold there it is out. sold out friends check it out good bro i feel like it's funny i uh like that does something even to me like you can feel something inside man with those with those lyrics you know what i mean i think it's for the lesson for me is that uh sometimes we try so much in our own strength just to make things happen or like at least we did as a band for like you know a couple decades or whatever but it's just funny that when you the moment you let go sometimes is the moment that god just is like haha like i'm gonna do something and i don't know why he chooses to do that sometimes but that feels really good when god's using you yeah yeah well bro let's let's blast back to the beginning for you for you (laughs) for you and barry and just uh like your your faith as a kid where that was at and the and the start of this career and yeah um it's funny eh? it's like I was pretty average, you know, growing up pretty, you know, white, suburban, Barrie, Ontario, raised up going to church, which I actually really appreciate that my parents did that for me. And, um, and then, um, at like 13, my parents split and then that kind of causes like some discord in your life, obviously. And uh, by 16, yeah, I just, you know, I moved out and I spent a season kind of on the streets there and in shelters and things. And, um, I remember at the same time around the year 2000, 99, 2000, um, this guy named Scott Jackson was starting, um, like a Christian radio station called life 100.3. He was just kind of getting it up and going, but I remember him seeing me, um, walking around, downtown just like with a couple hoodies on but I didn't have a a winter jacket and 
I woke up one morning with an envelope next to me. I don't even know how this envelope got there. Like, it's kind of creepy to think of yourself sleeping in a bed and someone placing an envelope. I had 200 bucks in it. And a little note, he said, dude, get yourself a winter jacket. And he just like, I don't know why, but that moment always made a big impact on me that someone was that kind and um, thoughtful. And so, um, yeah, through those kind of difficult years, I think God always placed really um, instrumental, like people, like surrogate kind of family people in my life, a family called the Deans. They kind of took me in, you know, I was learning how to drive. They let me like drive their car and um, just crazy stuff. But um, well, bro, 16, like that's really young. Did you like get kicked out or did you move out on your own? I I think it was like kind of a little bit of both. And like literally on the street, sleeping outside or were you Uh, couch surfing or thankfully uh, some couch surfing with really great friends. Um, I was in like the stupid little band in Barry, um, like a youth group band called cheese monkeys from planet nine. (laughs) That's a uh, great name. I did see that. It's so crazy to think that like my, the bass player, the Allison's, they let me like move in with them for a little bit. And then like I hung up with another Steingarts, the guitarist, and then the Prestons, the drummer, like it's, they all kind of like invested in me and like kept like me going like when there was um you know I was really just like messed up like you know I was doing stupid partying and drugs and just kind of just kind of trying to figure out your place right like as as you often do at that age but they weren't like judgmental or I don't know they really they were there for me and so and where was, where was your faith then? Like if you're dealing with all that separation with your yeah. parents and all that, were you like, like you obviously believed, but was it just kind of, you always did. So it was just that or. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I remember many nights just walking by myself, conversing just with God on the streets. And it's almost like he was the constant through it all. So yeah, I never was like a blame thing. It was more like, I understand like in this world stuff will hit the fan and that's, that just happens. Right. But I don't, I never, I, I've always felt like God was there, like kind of beside me. And so he was always like the one listening. And sometimes that was maybe if I was high or something. And so I did definitely have a moment where uh, the first time I heard God audibly, it was really, really, really freaky. Um, I don't know if you want to go into that. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Okay. Cause so. that's, this is really cool actually. Cause you would think 16, you get kicked out. You grew up Christian that you would be mad at God or how could God exist if my parents split and I'm on the street? You know what I mean? So it's really cool that he was your constant in the, yeah. in and amongst the storm. Yeah. And, and so like, I always do like you probably, I mean, you hear so many different journeys, but you know, your relationship with God and this, you know, creator of everything isn't just like a decision necessarily for me. It wasn't just like a one-time prayer or like significant date or, you know, your baptism or to me, it's been this like journey of like walking it every day. And, you know, like every relationship you have, whether it's a spouse or a child or a teacher or like it, it's just, it feels more organic that way to me. Like that is just a relationship. And so, Um, some people like, you know, they decided on this hour at this day and that's, that's cool. But for me, it's been more like that. So, uh, here I am, you know, a couple of years later, I think I'm probably 18 at this time. I moved back in with my mom in a little, I'll call it like a little ghetto area of Barrie. It's actually like now it's like really nice, but at the time it was like 
it's called Tamarack Woods and um, subsidized kind of housing thing. And I came home from um, just a weird night, uh, you know, back then marijuana was illegal. <laughs> so lots of that, lots of drinking, lots of stupid stuff. And, um, but I, I, I went upstairs, I think to use the restroom and I was looking in the mirror and it was so weird, man. It was so, so weird. You know when it's real. And literally, it was like God took over my body and my being, and then he used my mouth to talk to me. So it was my own voice, but it wasn't me like talking. And God said, Daniel, if you don't stop this, you'll be dead before you're 25. And, uh-huh. and it was just, it boom. Like, I just knew. I was just like, I, I, I kind of came to, and I was like, that's a very clear warning, like from, from God. And I was like, I had to make that decision. Do I, do I really want to kind of uh, waste this life away or just, I don't, it's not that I don't want to die out of fear of death, but I don't want to die early. I don't want to die by 25. And so I was like, okay, God, well, if, if like this, if this is true and you're real and all that stuff, then you got to help me like quit all this stuff. You know, you got to help me quit. And, um, for some people that's cold Turkey for me, it was kind of quitting the, the acid and the, I was never into like injection stuff, which is I'm really grateful for. But so the heart, well, I'll call the harder drugs kind of very quickly stopped. Um, marijuana after that drinking after that. And this is over the course of maybe only a year max and then, and smoking. So like all those things, like, just weaned right off. And it was like, he helped me. And, um, and I'm not dead. I'm here. I am sitting before you, right? 41. And, uh, God's done some pretty crazy things in the last 20 years since that. Um, so that's kind of was a pivotal moment, I guess. Yeah. That's a huge moment. Yeah. And it it stays with me, you know, like I I know that wasn't me talking. So that was pretty cool. So would you say, would you say like that moment or that process was where like Jesus became real to you as opposed to more, more than, you know, how you grow up and you're going to church and you know, this is what our family believes. Like, was that a, like your, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I say, the process of discovering God and his being and characteristics and, um, I, man, sometimes I have a hard time attributing like, well, is the Holy spirit, the one guiding me, you know, the, the whole like Trinity thing. Sometimes I think I, I accredit the wrong things to like God or like the spirit or Jesus. So I, they're all the same being. Right. And so, um, I think as I'm watching this, you know, the chosen right now and kind of like so good getting wrapped up in the character of Jesus and who he was, it's really like, it's revealing a lot to me about him as a person Um, but it's for me, it's like been about like when I pray, I generally I'm praying to God and, you know, and I, I make my requests and things known like in Jesus name. Um, but I really feel like the Holy spirit is the one that's like inside guiding, guiding me daily, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, through those years, God wasn't just like a concept anymore. He was like, like a person walking with me. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then you're watching that now, The Chosen? Uh, yeah, they're actually se- started season four, I think. They just started shooting. Started shooting, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's pretty crazy. I think I want to rewatch the whole series again. Right? Just so, it's just cool. Um, well, here's a free plug. If you haven't seen this show, friends, it is so good. It is so good. Like, we watch it as a family, and I'm anticipating because, you know, we know how it ends. Yep. Well, not how it ends and then begins, but it's going to be, they're doing such a good job developing these characters. It's going to be brutal to watch. It's insane. It's insane. You know what else they do? Side note. Have you seen on social media if people bash them? Yeah. They repost it and, yeah. and they get a good laugh out of it. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah, it's, it's so, so great when you don't take yourself too serious. <laughs> it's so good. So, dude, what uh, what brought you to Peterborough? Yeah, the boys. You know them all. I know. Yeah. Uh, Jason Dunn. Matt but, like, Page. what brought you to Peterborough? Them? Like, did you meet? Literally. Literally. Uh, I think I met them at Kingdom Bound, this event down at Darien Lake in upstate New York. Um, I was like waiting for a ride, the Superman or something. And, uh, they were there and I was standing with them. Uh, my band had been playing a little like gig on a stage there at the park stage and they watched and they were like, oh, and we'd all played shows together in Ontario kind of a thing. Yeah. And they were like, what do you, you know, I heard your band cheese monkeys from planet nine is breaking up. And, and I was like, yeah, everyone's going to college except for me. I don't really know what I'm going to do. And they're like, Oh, like our bass player, Chad is going to, you know, get his trade and, and we need somebody. Would, would you consider like learning how to play bass and coming to join us? And I'm like, I don't play bass. I don't, I don't, are you sure you want to invite a guy that doesn't play bass or any real instrument? Cause I was the singer. You want to ask me to come to move to your town? Oh, that's about right. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, I learned how to play bass. And, um, and then, um, by like within four or five months, I moved in with Dave and I lived at Matt Page's place out in Nanismore for a little while in the boathouse. And man, it was it was wild. It's a sweet boathouse. Oh my gosh. It was, just, <laughs> it was so funny looking back on it now. What a great phase of life. <laughs> That's what brought me to Peterborough. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. So, okay. So then you guys start seeing, you guys start seeing some success. You get signed with tooth and nail and. Uh, yeah, that was, I mean, that wasn't that instant. We were um, writing some really mediocre music and playing gigs in Toronto at Lee's palace and like those clubs down there and going down there to poster and playing with other like punk rock bands in Ontario. And I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't that successful right off the bat. We're all like, you know, working jobs on the side and putting like $500 a month into our band fund so we can buy gear. And like, it was, it was pretty fun. Like, um, I think, the garage band years are kind of like some of the best because it's not about the business and it's not about success. It's, it's, you're doing it because you're passionate about it at that point. Yeah. And I, I think that's really special. Um, but then, uh, and then comes, you know, a little more of the story about, you know, um, signing with tooth and nail and kind of going to Seattle and recording and working with Trevor as a crafted songwriter and, and then you have a team behind you and you're a product, you know, you're, you're, you're a band, but you're a product <laughs> or it becomes that. Does it become that? Or is that kind of how it is right away? I think pretty quickly you realize like when you're working with a record label, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's about, you know, dollars and 
income and things like that. Like there's a lot of moving parts. So everyone needs to, yeah, it's a, it, there's a machine behind the whole thing. So uh, if you want to stay indie and, you know, make art, quote unquote, and, you know, you can do that. That's it. But that's a different journey than than record label stuff. Yeah. So as you're as you got into that, where where were you at with your spiritual journey or you guys as a band? Yeah. Like in the transition from garage band to where you start to get signed, like where's your journey at in yeah. those in those days? Yeah. So I think um, pre. So, yeah, early on, we're just, you know, trying to be like a positive, quote unquote, band playing clubs. And if faith was obviously a part of who we were, because, you know, we all were at church and like we're, we're actually playing in the church basement and like that's where our practice space was and. But it was never like set out to be like a Christian band, if that makes sense. Um, and then kind of switching to like the label thing. I think we kind of just felt, found ourselves into the, like in the U.S. There was like this whole like Christian culture with like, a, you know, a business model behind it. And, and that overlaps with like your faith and and business. And so that's obviously, uh, you know, a tricky ride for everyone to balance whether you're donald miller or whether you're uh, striper or whether you're you know what i mean everything in between um but yeah that 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 didn't i didn't wrestle too much with my personal faith through that whole thing i think that if i'm honest looking back as the other um, guys in the band whether they're the chief songwriters or the spokespeople usually that's like the lead singer I think of Jason, I think of John, who became our, our singer. I think it really rocks. I think it really takes a toll on, on people. Um, I can name other people too, but like, I was like a bass player. So I kind of had the separation of church and state kind of thing where I, I got to work on the business side of things, but my faith was, it was like, it was mine. And, and so, yeah, I've just seen it where like, I think it can be a real like, hard thing for people that are writing and trying to commercialize something at the same time, it can really take a toll on people. And I actually have a lot of, um, sympathy, I guess now more for, for those people now more than I, I thought initially. So, yeah, I would suspect it would be like, you know, when you're talking about the garage band days, you're, you're Christian dudes, you're rehearsing in a church and stuff, but then you're going to downtown Toronto and you're playing like, I don't know where you played. Did you say Lee's Palace Lee's and stuff? Lee's Palace like, and those places. Okay. So before faith, I used to party at Lee's Palace. No way. <laughs> so, uh, and all those places. So just like for me to try to, like I play guitar, but I was never, I was never in a band, right? Yeah. But just to try to wrap your head around going into those, you know, environments, especially if you had a history of you know, partying like yourself, yeah. like you said, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, so, and then I can't even imagine, you know, signing and then playing these bigger gigs. But when you guys did that and you were signed with tooth and nail and you were primarily, you did a lot of stuff in the U S were those more Christian festivals and stuff that you would play? Yeah. 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 It was, it was a, a pretty big like departure from what we thought was going to be, um, I think in Ontario we were like, oh, like we'll just like chase after like a, a mainstream thing. Like, you know, you see some 41 and Simple Plan and like all these like kind of Canadian bands at the time that we kind of look, looked up to. 
you know, their songs being played on the radio. Now I realize that was more due to uh, laws in Canada having to play Canadian content and things. It's you don't know this stuff growing up, right? You're just like, oh, I love them because I hear them or Gob, this band from Vancouver I loved. Yeah. Um, but or Our Lady Peace. We talked about them a little bit a second ago. Um, but yeah, and then in, in the U.S., it was like, oh, there's like other bands and doing like this, like kind of Christian circuit of whether that's churches or, um, cornerstone music festival, all these kind of things going on, which was really interesting, uh, to kind of get thrown into, I think side note, like our first tour in the U S we were out with a couple other like punk bands. One was called One Twenty One, and one was sidewalk slam who became run kid run and we're like driving down the East Coast and we stopped at a Waffle House um, outside Hillsboro, North Carolina at like midnight or something. And we're, so greasy. Yeah. And we're going to grab a, you know, greasy <laughs> breakfast or something. And uh, these guys like held up the restaurant. These guys that were eating in the restaurant stand on top of after they finished their breakfast, stand up on their bench pull out their freaking guns and this is a holdup and it was like wow this wow is, did this they is, just watch pulp fiction this is happening exactly it's <laughs> actually and it was so crazy adrenaline rush i can feel it now it was awesome <laughs> but uh that was like our introduction to america and we we're like i remember my mom always be careful down there i'm like mom it's gonna be fine week one week one <laughs> and it was everybody was fine and I think a couple of the guys got their wallets taken from them, which is more of an inconvenience than anything when you're in another country and you don't have your driver's license and oh, all yeah. that stuff. But I don't know if you've heard that story from the other guys, but it was, it was a trip. It also makes you really like grateful. You're like, wow, I'm alive. Like God protected me through that. Yeah. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. Um, so as, as your successes grew, uh, how did your, how did your faith journey grow too as well like did you look at this as like a total blessing did you get wrapped up in in the growth of the band because whether you're christian or not like you you know you start out your garage band you just love to play music and you're playing then all of a sudden people know your name strangers are coming to you like they know you you've never seen them before like how did that play out for you as an individual yeah i think um it's pretty easy to get wrapped up in like if people are always telling you you know you're a big deal and you know you can really quickly start to believe that. And um, thankfully, I think all of us were pretty, when you come from Peterborough and you're just kind of, you kind of know who you really are. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, we, I, I don't think it got to our heads too much, which is amazing. I, I can totally see how it does to people because you know, you're getting pictures and you're signing autographs and you're, but I don't know. I don't know. God did a good job keeping me grounded, I think, but it definitely was still a business. And, um, so I think then it, for us as a band, it was about, you know, the co-writes and like getting the right writers to like craft a product and a song. And, and that can, uh, yeah, that can become pretty f- like a far departure from what you were doing in the, in, in the church basement or something. But I always, I still think you just like, I was always wanting God to like direct our path. So like you're trying to do the best with that, that you know how. And, um, yeah, it was still a real awesome thing to be able to like tour North America 
and jump on these other big tours. We were always kind of like a support act. So we were never like what they call like a hard ticket band where we like put on our own tours and like sold like stadiums out or anything like that. But we were always like a, the B, like the support act. So we went out with Skillet in 2009 and did 52 shows in the US. And they were like pretty well attended at the time. But really it was Skillet selling the tickets and we just got to like play in front of all these people. And that was like, that was awesome. There was some really cool clubs, um, like uh, House of Blues in Chicago and Anaheim and like just cool venues. Like it was just cool to do it. So at, at the same time we were going out with like um, New Song, this like Southern gospel group puts on this tour called Winter Jam every year and it's arenas. And um you got like the Southern gospel preacher guy that's kind of talking and they're like, it's just like this weird mix, but through it all, I feel like God, um, I don't know, just God was there like same kind of thing my journey as a teenager and on streets of Barry, like he was always present and always like listening. And, um, yeah, I'd like to say I did a perfect job of walking out my faith and business, but I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> did you, uh, in some of these bigger shows, like with skillet or with other, other big bands or winter, winter jam, winter jam. Did you have conversations with other musicians like faith-based stuff or, you know um, what those things, or was it kind of more cause you're, you know, it's, it's at this point, it's your job, it's your gig. Yeah. You guys are doing stuff, but did you have some, definitely, with some people? definitely. I think I, uh, back, I used to like, used to love running and a lot of other artists would kind of, so we could take little runs. So I had good talks with uh, this hip hop guy named John Rubin, who I liked back in the day. Uh, Mike Donahue from a band called 10th Avenue North. He was always like into kind of talking about spirituality and we had some crazy gigs over the year, man. I don't even know why I'm thinking of this now, but there was one down in Louisiana and there was church groups that would come to um, kind of picket and like against the concert because, you know, we had drums and we had, we were, they called us devil worshiping and all this stuff. We were literally there to talk about Jesus. So Mike Donnie and other guys would try and go out and like um, debate with these, these groups, these radicals, I'll call them um, or extremists. And uh, it was always like a losing battle because you just, they're just, they come like all antagonistic and, but what a crazy world we live in to think about. And so faith, faith was always like, yeah, this mix of an element of what was going on. That's really interesting. It was interesting. It's still interesting to me. Yeah. That, that, that really actually surprises me because for me growing up pre-faith, yep. uh, I remember seeing stuff of Christian protesters protesting a Motley Crue show. Yes. But, uh. But now to protest a Christian event. I know. I know. Um, that was in Baton Rouge. And um, I think that was also the event where. Oh, yeah. So next to us. So there was three. This was a really cool complex. They have there down on the river. And um, so our concert was playing in one. The biggest hall. The next biggest hall over Earth, Wind and Fire were playing the same night. And then in the little theater behind us, Jerry Seinfeld was doing comedy. And so as soon as I got off stage, they let, they took me over and I got to watch Jerry Seinfeld live, which I loved from the show Seinfeld, but he actually didn't do any of that material and he was not funny. I didn't laugh once. Really? Yeah. So that was a disappointment. However, that's tied to that show with the protesters. <laughs> 
But the protesters were just protesting the Christian, Christian gig, show. not the Earth, Wind, yeah. and Fire show. Because they got some cra- pretty crazy um, denominations, I'll call them, down there <laughs> that might interpret the Bible a different way, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, it's it's been a trip. And um, God has been good, I guess, through it all. Um, not always easy, obviously. Uh, Jason left the band uh, in 2011, maybe. And then we were, we were done. And um, we were on tour with Mercy Me at the time. Jason was finishing out his last tour when uh, the lead singer Bart heard some demos. I like a song, a little record that John, our guitarist, had done on his own just for fun. And they were like, took, they're like, why don't you be the singer? Like, and we were like, all looking at each other, three of us. And we're like, what? Like, we could do that. <laughs> and then it turned into another kind of Hawk Nelson 2.0, different career for the band. Three albums um, took us a, like some pretty cool places, Australia and stuff. And God used it. So like, even when you think. Even the genre changed a little bit, right? Totally. Like you're still. Yeah, but which is part of growing as a I, band. I think like John always said it like this: like people were like, "Oh, do you think you can fill like Jason's shoes?" And he was like, "Not really, because like those were his feet. Like mine are different. So I'm not. Instead of trying to emulate and be that, let's just let's just do what I like. What you know what I mean? I'm a different person. So kind of like I think with Edwin and uh, what's his name. That Jag, I Mother Earth. The I Mother Earth transition. Like, you, you don't do the same thing with a different person. At least that's, that's what we subscribe to. So, yeah, Hawk Nelson uh, had a whole different, like, thing. Uh, and you get the people that are like, I don't like the new Hawk Nelson. I, you know, I grew up in high school. I like this. And that's fine. That's totally, I, I totally get that. And then you get people that are like, what? Hawk Nelson used to be like a pseudo pop punk band and i didn't i just know them as like christian radio (laughs) and like so it's pretty fun yeah but you just like to play so you were able to 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 stick this out because you just love to play like i think i just um yeah i liked i mean it was it was fun it's fun to like do music for a living and yeah i people always said like what's it like being a professional musician or something and i said well i'm not that right like these guys asked me to play bass for their band and I never even played. So I never had like music theory. I can't read music. Everything is just by like listening and then just kind of like figuring it out. We did this one thing um, early on. We got to play the who on a TV show and they wanted us to do my generation, that song. And in it, John M. Whistle has this crazy bass solo after the first chorus. And I was like, no, first of all, no one does like insane bass solos in music anymore. And I'm just this guy that's like getting thrown into this, like, you know, pop punk music isn't the most complex stuff. And so I had to learn this. So we're like driving through the Rockies on our way to LA and I, the guys are sleeping in the back of the van and like, it was my turn to drive. So I pulled after a shift, I pulled over and I'm like, got the headphone in and my bass. I'm like trying to learn this bass solo like in the cold. And, uh, why am I telling you this? I'm just saying it's got. God's got weird little things along the way for you. <laughs> yeah. You know what though? Musically, it seems like that's a lot of how things happen, right? You never played bass. They asked you to come in the band, like, and then other people 
they study it and they're amazing and, and they I, want to do it and they never get a break. And I have a lot of respect for people that are, um, this guy, Jonathan Chu, he played uh, violin with Skillet for many years and now he still tours with other artists like Ren Collective and he gets hired to do other things, but he is like a master of musicianship and I really admire those kind of people, but that's not me. <laughs> yeah. Um, at these shows, did you, would you guys, like, I know you did autograph signings and stuff like that. Would, would kids come up and, and ask any faith-based stuff or were they just all caught up in the music or? Um, we got to actually know some, some fans. There was like people that would come like to many shows and, you know, they would drive hours and things like that. And, um, you kind of almost became like friends with them. And so you got to kind of know their story and their struggles and you could pray with them or encourage them. Um, so that was kind of best case scenario. But when you're just like smile, take a photo and there's a line and you're just pushing people through like cattle, it's just not, it's not the same thing at all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, we, there was, there was definitely people and the people I've kept up with actually since even we stopped touring that I still like, like Anna and all these people I can think of online. It's, it's pretty cool. Like it's cool that I know these people just because they were fans of the music. And then what went on lately? I'm thinking of these specific fans. We played this show. Um, Adam went down recently to Asbury. Yeah. And when I saw the picture, I was like, we played that stage and we did 10 years ago. We did a show in that room. Wow. And, um, I tried to claim that we were the, the seed that ignited the whole thing. <laughs> I, I really don't think we were, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's cool, man, to be at all these places and seeing all these things. I, I think that's what drew, drew me to the most was the, um, you know, everyone's different. Um, Adam and I, if you guys know who Adam Shepsky is, uh, he's this really awesome dude who loves cats and winter. <laughs> we're both, we're both the sevens on the Enneagram. And so like, we both are like drawn to like, you know, new experiences and meeting people and things like that. Um, so I don't know if that's just like the way God wired us. Um, but I was never, um, like, Oh, I really want to be a musician and craft art. And like, you know, I'm putting my heart on the line. It was more just like, this is just really cool. Like waking up in a new city every day and like meeting people and hearing their stories. And like, yeah, it, it was awesome. Yeah. Cause I'm sure you're writing, you guys are writing, you know, like Christian, well, whether you're trying to formulate something like you said, or still a lot of stuff must have come from the heart and then it influences people as they listen to it so there must be some stories of kids who are like man i listen to the, these songs really help me through times totally. and yeah i've got the letters in my basement i've got like back originally like we used to have like fan mail where people would send actual like this is like kind of as the internet was kind of coming in but yeah. we existed for a little bit before so i've got like a box of like real letters of people like with all those kind of stories where you know i was thinking you know about suicide and then this song came on and like you're just like whoa like you you don't ever knew know the extent but it actually makes sense because i'm sure you can think back too in your life where like songs were pivotal at certain moments in your life whether they're christian or not like god uses music right and so um, he, he invented music. So it makes sense. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty big honor to be a part of that kind of story for people. Um, 
And so, yeah, I actually have a little folder at home too in our like, you know, you got your taxes and insurance and all that stuff. And then in there I've got ones like, like, um, things to remember, I called it. And in it are just like really special ones that stood out to me over the years. You're, you're right about that for me because for me it was pre-faith for me and the metal it was like a lot it was like anger it was i yeah. related to stuff because it was a way to like you yeah. know vent and channel yeah. aggression and stuff yeah. but um without naming a name is there something that stands out to you or that you could share without intimate details but of, of something that was really well honestly like i haven't like opened those up for a while um just because it's been about, we realized it was five years ago last month that we released our last album. Um, and so there's a girl named Anna and, and she wouldn't mind me sharing this, but like she, she struggles with depression and things. And, um, she was always encouraged by coming out to our shows and some people, you know, thought that got a little needy or whatever, but, um, I, I love to think that we played a small role in keeping her going and I know she's still like alive and still going. So, um, she even came to Toronto and did the whole walk the CN tower steps thing. Wow. And then we met up at the Scarborough bluffs and like, weren't doing music anymore, but like, yeah, God uses stuff. And I, and I, and you get tons of the comments online. I'm sure like people are like, Oh, you really influenced my life. And I, I don't think people just say that just for, to be nice. I think you mean it like, um, but yeah, it's neat talking about music. Um, I remember listening to like some harder, what I call harder rock in high school with my friends. My circle was like into Papa Roach and, um, you know what I mean? All that kind of, you know, I think that guy came to faith as well. Did you know that? Really? The singer of Papa Roach. Jacoby. Yeah. So, and then we're talking about Brian Head Welch yeah. with Corn. Second day I came to the day after I came to faith, I read his book, man. He was really instrumental in my journey. Oh my gosh. That guy's so nice. I remember playing a show. This is when Jason was in the band. We were on this weird stage in Las Vegas, I think that turned. So the whole show you're playing, it's slowly turning. So like the audience is circle around you, the whole thing. There's no like back behind the stage in the round. And I remember, yeah. And Jason (laughs) in between songs saying something like, there's scary Jesus. And it was at Brian Head Welch. I was at the show <laughs> watching. He didn't know he was Brian Head Welch, but oh, yeah. he just said, that guy looks like scary Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently after the show, I remember actually he came up and was like, that was the most funny thing I've ever heard. Like he didn't take offense to it. And uh, they got a picture or something. But um, what else? There's another story about hard rock bands. I'm trying to think. Um, we did a video. Yes, we did a video. It was all shot on green screen and the guy doing the video we knew from a previous video, but he was also shooting a commercial that day and out comes this guy carrying a shotgun and it's James Maynard Keenan from Tool. Yeah. And he was like doing a cigar thing or maybe it was a wine thing. I can't totally remember. Um, We're like, that's not loaded, is it? And he was like, he was very serious and he was just like kind of like i don't know if he cocked it or something i don't know but it was weird that guy seemed dark that guy seemed really like he was not broing out with us he was not being kind it was there was something dark about that situation but that was cool because i remember listening to tool in high school and all that kind of stuff and living in barry they used to have molson park where they'd have huge shows and and 
they were there. I may have been to a couple of those. Yeah, Lannis Morissette was there once with 100,000 people. I was there every year. Warp Tour I used to go to, so... <laughs> Somersault. Yeah, Somersault, yeah. So that's all just a shopping mall now. Yeah. It's lame. Super lame, Barry. You <laughs> suck, Barry. Uh, sorry, I don't know if I should say that, but God bless you, Barry. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, I used to go to Warp Tour, and I remember touring with, or sorry, checking it. I used to love this band called MXPX because, you know, they had an element of faith to their music. Um, and they were on Tooth and Nail Records. And then we did a tour with them, and it was horrible. Horribly attended. It just... I was like, never tour with your idols, bro, because like people that you put up on a pedestal, they're just people. And then you see it really clearly. And it was like, ouch, that was a rough tour. <laughs> That's really um, just going back to you talked about Anne and stuff. It's really good that like it's more than just you're doing it for a career. But right. It's actually touching people. And, and yeah. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely I think I mean that's always the goal uh, hopefully if you have a pure heart but you never know how god's going to use it so i should pull out some of those stories i should have done that ahead of this interview i apologize that's okay these sometimes these things just pop up right i'll find them yeah um so as your as your band started to, to tail off uh what like where are you at now with your with your journey and your faith what are you exploring now or I remember people were always like, what are you going to do when music dies? Kind of thing. I'm like, it's never going to die. But you kind of always know, oh, unless you're like the Rolling Stones or something, like there will be an end to this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. And then so. Um, well, you never know, right? You never know what's going to happen. People produce, people do True. solo stuff. True. Our guitarist. Right? Seasons. Our guitarist Micah is having a really, really good career in Nashville right now. He's um, writing and, and I don't think as producing as much, although he's capable, but he's pretty much writing like like the new Mercy Me single, the new Stephen Curtis Chapman single, the new Toby Mac single. Like He's just doing great. And it's so cool because this is a kid from Michigan that grew up listening to Hawk Nelson as like a junior high kid. And then he joined the band eventually. Because when John was our guitarist, he became the singer. We needed a guitarist. So like this kid, Micah, stepped into the role. And this is a kid that never graduated from high school, um, you know, homeschooled, but still never graduated from high school. And then like kind of got into music. And now he's like doing amazing things. And so like you say, God still has plans for everybody. And um, but for me, it was like really cool to be back in Peterborough where um, my wife is from. And God had always laid it on like he'd given her a dream of adoption. And so it allowed us to kind of do that. Cause if I was just traveling all the time, that's not really like ideal to let one parent just adopt some kids and drop them on their lap. And, and so God knows what's, what's, what's best. So when did you guys No, I'm interrupting your question, but when did you guys get married? We were married in 20, sorry, 2007. So she's been on this journey with you all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So actually I met Bonnie, um, at our very first like photo shoot for the band. And I uh, thought she was actually married to Aaron Holbrow, the guy that ended up actually marrying us. Uh, he is a pastor in town, but they had a graphic design company and they did our artwork for our first indie album. And we shot like a, I, I'm getting on, I'm going, I'm going on random, random tangents here. <laughs> Just forgive me. But uh, yeah, Bonnie's been awesome. So she is a graphic designer. So she has always done tons of like Hawk Nelson artwork or merchandise or like, concepts like it's been a real she's been a huge asset and like 
God, like she's amazing. <laughs> so you guys got married. You lived in, you know, now I'm jumping back all over the place too, but you guys got married. You lived in Nashville yep. for quite a while. I guess it was like seven years. And, um, just because that's the hub of where you guys were doing most of your stuff. Yeah. Like uh, there's a whole industry there with like all the touring and the buses and the studios and the business side and the management. And we the, don't have that here in Peterborough. Uh, I guess like, we actually <laughs> do have some of that surprisingly. Um, but, um, I think it mostly worked there as an industry because you could get almost anywhere in North America aside from past the Rockies within a night's drive. Yeah. Yeah. So it just like logistically made sense. Totally. So that was really cool too, to be exposed to, um, had a great church there, great pastor, um, called great. It was called Grace Chapel. His name was Steve. Like real, it was a real treat. And and I fell in love with Southern cooking. You know, I love the Nashville hot chicken. It's my favorite. Yeah. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) All of that road trip. Uh, so now let's jump back, (laughs) jump forward to, to where we were there. So just, yeah. So you guys have adopted a couple little kids and, and yeah. So that's kind of like a big life change, but, um, yeah, like you start thinking like, how do we want to raise them? So like we go to church and like trying to teach them about like God's character and how he loves them. And like, it's, it's really crazy. Like, um, a lot of it is by example, I think, is just like being grateful for things and like acknowledging God, like, thank you. Like, thank you for this food that we have, that we don't have to be hungry today. And realizing how blessed you are and even just the simple things, having a roof over your head. Um, when you're a kid that comes from another culture where, you know, you have issue, food issues and insecurities because of desperation I think it just, at least for us, it wakes us up a little bit to how what good we have it here. And so, yeah, I'm just teaching them about God and, um, you know, that he loves us and he adopted us as his kids. So that's why, you know, we wanted to do that with them. You know, it's all based on his love for us. And it's a wild ride, man, parenting. <laughs> it's a journey, huh? It definitely is. Yeah. That's cool. And so what are you... uh well, actually, I know that this is a, here's a Toddcast fun fact. So there's been a long running joke here. Well, not a joke, but people who know me who have been on the show have showed up with a uh, coffee for me, <laughs> right? Okay. Because they, because they know me and they get, they get kudos and bonus points for that. Now the cat lover and the winter lover, Adam, who you talked about there, he came twice, never brought me anything. But you have taken it, my friend, up to like a high level, <laughs> my friends, because uh, Daniel here brought me a bag of fresh coffee beans. Yeah, I roasted it. got it all ready for you. A little bit on the darker side because I thought you might like that. And uh, that's what I'm doing now. Um, coffee and um i fell in love with that while touring actually i bet i was like finding all these cool little coffee shops because you know you always want some coffee and then you're finding all these little like coffee roasteries there's one in nashville called crema they're kind of picking up in canada too now which is great um it's like instead of a bakery it's a roastery and um you're buying quality coffee from farmers directly if you can you're kind of they're getting more of a piece instead of going through importers like it's there's a whole like chain to this whole thing i learned that coffee was the second largest commodity traded in the world next to oil wow isn't that insane so um yeah no it's it's pretty cool um 
I like to uh, think that God, you know, kind of steered me in this direction. And so while we were kind of wrapping up touring, I got to visit different roasteries and kind of question them and glean from them and stuff. And and here we are in Peterborough, Ontario. No one was really doing, um, they're called, they call it third wave coffee, but you no know, one was really doing what I want to do. And the opportunity seemed like ripe. So God is using it. It's called Rapids End coffee and um that is a nod to the um original uh first nations name of nogojiwaning for peterborough which is place at the end of the rapids and so rapids end uh, for me represents like that we all face turbulent times in our life um you know the bible says that you know when the storms come meaning they will come and we all experience like these rapids but rapids end is kind of like the peace uh for me that comes, you know, from God. <laughs> um, on our bags, we have a little like reference just to like Psalm 23, because for me, like, you know, he will lead you beside still waters, like at the place at the end of the rapids. It's just like ties it all in together. Um, I'm going to offer a, like a, it's funny. It's like rap coffee is like typically like, you know, caffeine, let's get crazy, you know? And I, I do love that element of it helping push you, uh, a little more in, in, in the daytime. But, but for me, it's more actually about the peace that will come through the whole process and, um, a place for someone to have a coffee and talk or, you know, just open up or a conversation just kind of like we're doing right now. So that's, that's the heart of what I'm doing and we'll see where God takes it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Bro. Thanks for, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. It's been a real treat. Um, we on the way out here, I had this American bald eagle kind of swoop right over the car nice and close. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, there's cool things happening. And so, uh, Todd, you're out here in the country. It's beautiful. Um, anyone listening, if you want to get on to the Todd cast, you should write him right now. And uh, <laughs> whether that means flying in, uh, you know, and experiencing how beautiful this space is, it's cool. Yeah, it's our it's our secret studios. It's kind of like an old school rave, right? You don't get directions till the night before, and you got to totally. go to the store, and then the guy tells you where to go. <laughs> it's pretty freaking cool. And you also do this though remotely with lots of guys. Like you did it with James from Cutlass. Yeah, I'm sure he didn't like come all the way over here. No, he wanted to, but nice. the scheduling conflicts, so we just did it by Zoom. <laughs> nice, nice. That's cool. Uh, those guys were always nice over the years, but um, man, it's. It's a, it's a trip. And uh, if anyone that's listening, I would just be like, God says, seek and you will find kind of thing. Like you can't just not seek and just hope that you'll stumble upon something. You got to earnestly seek, um, God. So like, I don't, I'm not like a huge fan of religion and like all that kind of systematic, like if you do this, this and this, then you are cleansed because you know, the whole concept of Christianity, like with Jesus paying the price for our sins is that he's already done it. So like, all you have to do is be open to the idea that what he did was real and that you just, you just accept it. It's so like, it's almost like too easy. Do you know what I mean? Um, but you seek, seek God and ask him to make himself real. And, and I have people in my life that, um, are like our doubters of God's existence. And I, I often like wonder like, well, then like, what are we doing here? Like, 
what's the point of everything? I don't know if everyone wrestles with those things. I, I certainly do. I think about that stuff. But like my whole thing is like, if you're like a doubter that like God is behind this whole thing or that he loves you, if he says, seek me and, and like, you'll find like, just seek him, just ask him to show himself and make himself real to you. And, um, what, like, what do you have to lose? Like if he doesn't, I can, then like, you know, you tried kind of a thing. Um, I would just say like, maybe just like open up your mind and your heart to the idea that there's someone behind all this and that, um, it's not a coincidence because the, the deeper you look into stuff, like <laughs> I have bees in the backyard and how complex everything is. It's almost like for me, it just points. Nothing can be an accident. Nothing can just happen. Like this is like, I could run off on tangents on this, but like, I really just think that like, the complexity and amazingness of nature and everything we see around us points to a creator. And if it does, then I think it's worth investing your time trying to find him or find them. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, totally. You almost jumped ahead and, and you might have already answered my last question. Cause oh. I always like to end it with a question. So that was good. I almost outroed us with that. Um, yeah, you, you talked about, that was very profound, by the way. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you talked about God always being there. You knew he was always there. Um, you know, like from when you were walking the streets of Barry by yourself and you just always sensed that he was there and through your tours and the different things and the ups and the downs and the band changes and stuff, he was just always there for you. Uh, what would you say to somebody to help illustrate to them what, how they can achieve that. And you kind of almost answered this in your, in your last statement. Yeah. So like, I know people say like that, you know, God is like this man-made construct to help us get through or whatever, like as a crutch or something. But I'm like, I don't know. To me, it's like this still voice, like this little voice inside that, I don't know. It's not always audible, like to my ears, but like the Holy spirit, I'll call them is like guiding me. And it's a conversation. And, um, like you certainly don't have to have guidance in life and you don't have to acknowledge God and you can do it on your own in your own strength. And if that works for you, I guess I would say like more power to you. But for me, it was actually in surrender that I realized you know what, maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe I don't have all the strength and, um, and that's okay. I think, I think it's like the Bible says that when we're weak, he can be strong. And so, um, there's certainly, there's some power in, in that, in surrender and it's not weakness. It's actually just like surrendering and, um, so I got this voice that's guiding me and that same person can guide you too. And, uh, like I say, seek and you'll find. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. Oh, thanks Todd. Everyone. Yay, Todd. <laughs> Yay, Jesus, bro. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It was great uh, meeting you and has, having some time to spend with you, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for letting me come in. Love yeah. you. You too, bro. Seek and you will find, friends. 
He's he's always there. Even when we don't feel like it, he's always there. And uh, Anna, if you're listening, because your name came up a couple times today, and I don't know, I just feel something in my heart for you. He's always there for you. He's always there for you. All of you, but specifically today, Anna. He just wants you to know him more intimately. And that surrender piece. It's not weakness. But it's the key that opens the door to freedom. Be blessed. Be blessed.